Thanks for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching, help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics. Some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation. And other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of a yoga teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, please visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. This is episode eight, and today I've got a special treat for you. So some of you may have caught episode number six, which was one of the most popular episodes I'd posted so far. And in that one, uh, I interviewed yoga teacher Gabby DeLorenz, who is the founder of Soul to Soul Wellness. And she specializes in anatomy, just as I do. And from the responses, you loved it so much that we decided to get together to do another one. And truth be told, we had a long list of topics for part one, and we couldn't get to each one. So we already knew then that we'd do another one. So I'm really happy that Gabby was able to make time in her busy schedule to join me here. Now, before we get in today's content, I just want to hijack a little bit of this broadcast just to tell you about an event that I'm doing in January that I just opened the registration for yesterday. It's called the Bare Bones Yoga Urban Wellness Weekend, and it's happening here in Boston, actually Cambridge, on January 12th and 13th. And registration opened this week, but because you uh, are all listening to the podcast, you're going to get $25 off your registration. I just want to tell you a really quick snippet. So I wanted to do something really different from just a yoga event. So yes, there definitely will be yoga, but I've also booked a number of speakers on a variety of topics on health and wellness. So I have a neuroscience uh, coach coming in. I have a physician coming in who specializes in really making medicine and medical information understandable for her patients. And then I've got a bunch of speakers who are going to be part of a panel, and they're going to share stories from their personal life and their work, which is really interesting and I think heartwarming as well. And then there's going to be lunch both days, and there'll be some vendors there doing some product demos. So it's really meant to be a two-day experience for you at the beginning of the year, um, something in a city so you're not going to be you know off on some island somewhere and your cell phone's not working and all of that so it's really going to be kind of a a way for you to fit wellness and a wellness experience into your life at the beginning of the year and I wanted to do it in a way to kind of jumpstart the new year for people, uh, kind of not looking at that old kind of tired strategy of New Year's resolution, but rather giving you a lot of cool content so you can come up with solutions. And we're, of course, going to give you solutions, some ideas and tips uh, at the event 
all around different aspects of health and wellness. So you can sign up on my website, barebonesyoga.com. All you need to do once you sign up is just send me an email that you registered. I'll verify your registration, and then I'm going to send you a $25 uh, Visa gift card. So that's the deal with that. So that's just on the website, barebonesyoga.com. You'll see it right on the homepage. So what are we going to cover today? So today we're going to cover anatomical themes and concepts like we did the first time. So you're going to get a chance to hear our thoughts on each one. And we're going to cover it from an academic point of view, but also share the teaching view because, as you know, there's knowledge and then there's applying it and I know Gabby and I because we both are on Instagram and we kind of watch each other's posts and that's a big thing for both of us is really knowing the information but then applying it so let's get into if you missed the first episode I want to give you some background on Gabby she um, has a background in athletic training she was born with a love for the human body and she knows that she was called to help others she's got her bachelor's degree in athletic training and a master's degree in biomechanics and her certification from the National Association of Sports Medicine as a certified exercise specialist and along with working as a personal trainer she's also a, a registered yoga teacher and a continuing education provider through Yoga Alliance. Her business, I mentioned before, it's Soul to Soul Wellness, but take note because it's S-O-U-L to soul, like the sole of your foot, S-O-L-E. So that's pretty cool. And she specializes in yoga rehab and she works hands-on with clients to help them achieve proper movement patterns along with educating them on how the body works. And she really loves teaching yoga classes, of course. She also offers anatomy workshops and yoga anatomy training for teacher trainings. And she teaches a whole bunch of educational and wellness classes featuring yoga, strength, conditioning, and functional movement. So all stuff that I love to talk about as well. And her classes and training really take on a holistic approach to healing rather than just looking at kind of body parts. So now that we've met Gabby, say hello, Gabby. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, so let's dive into the questions because I don't want to be caught short. Um, I took a little time in the beginning, uh, but I don't want to be caught short, caught short this time. I want to get to all our all our topics. Perfect. So last time we talked about the hips as a part of the body that gets a lot of attention in yoga. So let's talk a little bit about the different reference points or the references that people use for the hips. So there's the joint, and then there's you know sometimes I hear people in class say hip points. And I kind of have that in my head of maybe what that refers to. Um, and cues can focus on the joint and cues can focus on kind of the pelvis, like when you say make the hips level. So tell me, you know, what's your way to approach that when you're teaching maybe? How are you referencing the hips and making that distinction between the joint and the bones of the pelvis in different cues? Yeah, um, so normally hip, hip points, is something that I have heard since I, before I began even teacher training. Yeah. Um, all the teachers say hit points. And um, I know you had had said it, the, it's your anterior superior iliac spine. Yeah. Um, so, ba but I, I normally will, just because I have to, um, I teach them what it is <laughs> in class. The people who care take it. And if not, I'll say, you know, your hit points. And I'll say those two points on the front of your, um, on the front of your body that right. you can feel kind of jut out. Right, jut out, right. And then um, the best, one of the, my favorite ways to show people this is in a glute bridge because mm. normally um, 
besides large-chested women um, and big-bellied men and women, um, you can see the you can see it. Right. Um, you can lift your head up. Um, you know, I've had a pregnant woman obviously couldn't see over her belly. Right. Um, but nonetheless, she got the point. Um, but from a glute bridge, if you're laying on your back with your knees bent, you can lift your head up enough, um, and you can actually see those points sticking out. Right. Right. Um, and if you can't see them, you can feel them. Right. Right. And um, so and even for listeners here, if they're sitting, they could yeah. bring their hands kind of like if they were wearing a belt um, right in the front of their body and they could feel those two bone parts sticking out. Correct. Um, and it's really the part that sticks out the most is the hip points that we're talking about. Right. Right. Um, and from a glute bridge, uh, this is really where I like to teach people about anterior and posterior pelvic tilting. Hmm. Um, because you can see the ASISs or your hit points will go forward mm -hmm. and they will go backward. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just kind of a little snippet that first came to my mind as soon as I uh, was thinking about this question. Um, it's just teaching, using it as a teaching tool. Yeah. Um, so let me but, just let me just jump yeah. in here for one quick second. Please. So I know along with hit points, one of the things that comes up over the years as a phrase is think of your pelvis. <laughs> Think of your pelvis like a bowl and yeah. you don't want the water <laughs> to spill forward or spill back. And so when you just talked about tipping of the pelvis, so if we kind of look at someone standing up straight, the pelvis at neutral level is like the bowl. But if mm -hmm. they lean forward like a forward fold, the pelvis tips anteriorly, right? Correct. And then the water would spill out to the front. And then mm -hmm. if they lean back like a back bend... That would be the posterior tilt? Yes, to a certain point. And then to a it will point. move. But yes, yes, not to make things confusing, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's when you said, um, I forget that maybe you're saying from bridge, you teach people about pelvis uh, rolling forward or pelvis rolling back. So maybe from a bridge, another way, if I'm hearing you correctly, is if I'm in bridge and I tuck my tailbone. Yes. I'm posteriorly tilting my pelvis. Correct. And your hip points will move towards your face. Right. Got it. Okay, good. Yeah. So I think that's, that's, you know, this is a really good example of, you know, we talk, I know you and I share comments on the social networks there <laughs> about this idea of saying things, but not really getting what they mean from an anatomical yes. standpoint. So mm -hmm. I think this idea of make the pelvis level or keep the water in the bowl there's like that next level of understanding at which we're talking about here, which if someone came up to you after class and said, hey, what do you mean by that pelvis mm -hmm. level thing? You you would really have to know the next level of understanding. It's not just saying that phrase, which always makes me, you know, kind of my ears perk. If you're saying a phrase, <laughs> you want to kind of know what the genesis of that phrase is. So that's what we're talking about here. Posterior or anterior tilt of the pelvis. Correct. Um, okay. So all of what we're talking about here really is pelvis, the bones reference points versus the hip joint. And this is where mm -hmm. a teacher wrote to me recently and she was saying she was getting confused between referencing the hip and the pelvis. So what do you, th what do you think about that? Yeah, so um, if you were to look at a skeleton and you were, we're talking about the pelvis, the pelvis is basically your whole middle section, if you will. Right. Um, so when you talk about the hip joints themselves, 
we're only talking about where your thigh bone comes right. to meet the pelvis. Right. So it's the joint. Right. The connection. Okay. Correct. Got it. But so even um, I was thinking about uh, a lot of the cues that I use for this. Mm. Um, and everyone says two fists distance apart. <laughs> um, you know, take your fist hips with distance. Two fist distance. Yeah, because, you I know, think... God knows, like, the gods will come down and strike you if your feet are more. <laughs> like, the, I always, I, I hear what you're saying. It's like there are some sometimes these things that it's just like over and over and over yes. again. I get it. It comes from a good place, but it is when you said two fists. Because you even see people literally put their fists. Yes. On the ground. <laughs> on the ground. And that's where they put their feet, right next door. Right, right. So what, um, what were you going to say about the hips? So, well, I just think that... Your even two fist distance is too wide. <laughs> See, your your hips are so close. Even women women have wider hips. Yeah. They're meant for childbearing. Yeah. However, they're still not that far apart. When you bring your fist to, when you bring two fists to the floor, right. you're going about pelvic distance. Right, right, right. Um, and I guess whereas, it would depend on how big your fists are. Like, is there some relationship today, between absolutely. hand hand size <laughs> and pelvic size? I mean, this is really again. I don't want to harp on these things and you know this is not what's behind it but I think I'm pushing us you know in these conversations to to shed light and bring to the surface some of these kind of tired old phrases that are out there that if you dig deeper it's like are we really teaching people what we really want to be teaching them or are we giving the giving them these kind of cute little phrases that really don't accurately you know what I'm saying yes 100 <laughs> percent mm-hmm. yeah but it's something I I mean I will be in yoga classes in Seattle and yoga classes in Boston and right. Nashville and you hear everywhere right this distance to right. this distance right um right so it's definitely been ingrained however yeah I just don't that's not really anatomically hips with distance apart yeah so um, let me ask it this way what if yeah. I said what if I cued people to align their hips? Mm, this might not do it either. If I said align your, let's say someone's forward folding and I say align your hips over your heels and um, let's see, I could align my hip. Well, see, I could align my hips over my heels even if my feet were together. So I don't know that that really gets to the width part. I mean, there's gonna need to be some cue around separate your feet to the distance of the width of your pelvis? Is that what we're saying? I think that's where the two, I, I mean, one fist distance, I think, is enough. Yeah. Just bring, bring your feet together, bring them slightly apart, and you're there. Yeah. Um, but the biggest thing that I see um, when it comes to differentiating is mm. just is knowing um that if you have pain in the front of your leg mm. um, that's around your pelvis, but it's a little bit more towards the middle, towards the midline, mm-hmm. that that might be hip pain. Mm-hmm. So I've had a, a few of a few yogis come up to me, especially um, after uh, if I take a class or if I teach a class that's big on hip opening and and hip this, and they're like, "Hey, I don't feel anything in my hip." as they point to the outside of their pelvis, right? As they point to the outside of their glutes, um, their, their booty, mm-hmm. um, their pain is more on the inside, right below those kind of hip points we were mm-hmm. just talking about, mm-hmm. which is where your true hip joint lies. Hmm. 
So when I tell them, oh, man, have you, you know, have you had hip issues in the past or um, is there popping and clicking? And they're like, um, but it feels like the popping and clicking is inside my pelvis. Mm -hmm. Well, your hip joint is actually inside your pelvis. Right. Because it's got um, that. So yeah. I find that this, um, and just wanted to really make the point, if you're having pain that feels inside your pelvis or um, it feels like it's a little too far in um, towards the middle uh, to be your hip, um, it's probably your hip. Mm -hmm. um, because the hip joint actually lies, if you're on your ASIS and you move towards the middle of your body just a little bit, um, uh, just from the ASIS, move towards the middle, that's where your hip joint is. And you can kind of feel that. You'll probably feel your hip flexors get tight first mm -hmm. as you lift your leg up and try and um, kind of twist and shout your leg, just move your foot in and out. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really where the true hip lies. So I find that this is a big uh, thing that I need to educate people on when we're talking about specific injuries, yeah. um, specifically hip injuries and mm -hmm. knowing, you know, maybe there's a labrum tear or a ligament issue going mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. Um, so just really safety. First. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So, all right. So we've talked about reference points on the hips, the, the pelvis being level, the distinction between the pelvic bones and the hip joint, which mm -hmm. again, the, the hip joint is part of the pelvic bone, you know, on both sides. It's got the acetabulum, the little shallow cup where the head of the femur goes in. Okay, so we've got mm -hmm. the bone points. So um, so let me just quickly talk about this one issue that, or this one cue that comes up around keeping the pelvis level. And I remember back when I was um, studying physical therapy, we would talk about this test. I think it's called the trend. Trendel, I forget how you pronounce. Yes, Trendelenburg. Right. So when you stand on one leg and you'll see the hip drop on the side of the standing leg, which Correct. could potentially indicate weakness in the lateral hip muscles that stabilize the standing leg when you're standing on just that one leg. And mm -hmm. so let's say in a pose like tree, um, would the idea of keeping the helps keeping the hips level apply in tree as kind of sort of the quote-unquote preferred positioning of the pelvis versus having it tilt over to one side or the other? I find that if your hip is dropping um, in, in a single, any single leg stance, if the hip wants to fall, on, okay, so if you're standing on your right leg, mm -hmm and you lift your left leg up for a tree or right. a thing, uh, any sort of leg raise, and the, the left side looks like it's dropping closer to the floor you're, as you're standing on the right leg. Yep. Um, it would be the right, as you were saying, the right glute uh, musculature on the right side that's weak, mm -hmm. um, which is not picking up the left side since you've removed your leg. Um, from and the put ground. it some off the ground, right? Got it. So, so I find it's more of a muscular challenge and mm -hmm. much safe. I don't know if it's unsafe, but it's definitely harder, and it will help increase uh, the health and stability of your hips, which is always what you want to be doing. Right, exactly. And the other thing I was just thinking of um, is that oftentimes, let's say tree pose. When people come into tree, sometimes I cue them to draw the belly button into the spine because I know there's that connection between the rectus abdominis, which runs up the midline, to the lower part of the pelvis that 
pubic bone, that symphysis pubis in the front. And so yeah. there again, if they are tipping anteriorly and they create that kind of Uddiyana Bandha, won't it pull up a little bit on that front connection point of the two pelvic bones right in your well, pubic area and get you a little more upright? 100%, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's another, you know, yoga cue, Uddiyana Bandha, but really you can break it down or look at it through the lens of anatomy as it relates to that part of the pelvis. So, okay, mm -hmm. cool. All right. So let's talk about um, this kind of idea, but instead of the hips, let's apply it to the shoulders. So, um, so this is another one I think where people can get a little bit tripped up because there's the shoulder joint, which does different anatom, which takes different anatomical movements. And then there's the scapula, the actual bones in the back, which do different things. And I know, you know, we've talked about one of the things that we hear oftentimes out there in classes, which again is a reflection of not understanding the anatomical movements, is that fairly common cue when people lift their arms in warrior one to drop the shoulders. So let's just talk about that a little bit so that we can, you know, put out there what the anatomy is. And then certainly we welcome, you know, listeners, we welcome your comments and questions because this always, I've done some Facebook lives about, about this and this gets some questions. So yeah. when I'm lifting my right arm to the sky, what's happening to my scapula, my shoulder, not my shoulder joint? Sure. So uh, the scapula is my favorite bone, just FYI. <laughs> I have lots to okay, say. Okay, you must be fun at parties. The Here's Gabby. She's arrived with wine, and her scapula is her favorite bone. Great, Gabby. We will have lots of conversations. Yeah, okay. All right, go ahead. Scapula is her favorite bone. Go ahead. So uh, with that being said, the scapula is a floating bone, kind of. Yeah. Um. So as like the kneecap. Ah, I was just going to say that, patella, yeah. Yeah, so it sits, yes, it's connected but with muscle and ligaments, thank God, um, but it kind of floats on there. It just yeah. kind of sits over your uh, two other leg bones. It yeah. sits in that little groove, but it helps change, it changes line of pulls yeah. uh, to, help, to help promote muscle strength. Mm -hmm. um, the scapula does so much more than that, um, mm -hmm. so much more than the kneecap. So, um the scapula, when you bring your arms up overhead, it's supposed to rotate. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of issues we have are the fact that, you know, they say yoga, it's not a lot of pulling. Yeah. And um, we all sit at a desk all day. So our, shoulder, our, our shoulders are rounding forward, rounding which forward. if you think about the, the shoulder blades on your back, as soon as you start to slouch forward, the shoulder blades come forward with you. So they come away from your spine towards the front of your body, yep. um, which allows obviously your shoulder to um, your shoulder as in your humerus, your arm bone to move forward. So you can sit at your desk, type on your computer, read, write, eat everything that you do out in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just kind of baseline where our shoulder blades are in space mm. um, to begin with before we even walk into our yoga class is already kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, an issue. It's not. It's not at its most yeah. uh, strongest position when we start. Right. Um, so in yoga, yoga offers us an opportunity to help our students do the opposite of everything they've been doing all day. Mm. Um, so I think 
as a yoga teacher, it's super powerful to start talking about the scapula, which is probably why it's my favorite. Yeah. Hmm. But um, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of what we do with the arms up overhead is going to be important that we have good scapular motion. Mm-hmm. So the scapula does, you know, it rotates up and down, almost like uh, you're opening two jars of soup. Yeah, um, I kind of think or, also of like a hand on a clock, like if you yeah, got, like 100%. kind of swing the like if you're looking at it's at six o'clock and that bottom hand swinging out to the right. Yeah, perfect. Uh, yeah, great visualization. Mm. Um, but then they also move towards each other and towards the spine. Yep. They move away from the spine. This is our protraction and our retraction. Right. Um, sometimes uh, they move, they elevate and they depress as well. So up they go up. up towards your ears and they right. go down towards your bum. Right. Um, but then they can also kind of almost like they're on a seesaw pivot from side to side. Mm-hmm. And they can also pivot up and down. Right. Right. So they, it does a lot of motion. So to have those muscles be really strong is going to be really important. Got it. So when we have somebody reach up to the sky, the shoulder joint is moving into flexion. Correct. Right? Or abduction, depending on, yeah, oh. depending on the plane. Absolutely. Okay. If I, if I just reach straight up like in Warrior One. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. So that'd be shoulder joint flexion but the scapula would be an upward rotation yeah okay and so back to when i had mentioned earlier the cueing so sometimes i think there's that concern i don't know if we talked about this in the first episode where you look at someone's side of their neck and it looks a little scrunchy when the arms are up in the air and so sometimes teachers will say drop your shoulders down your back when your arms are lifting up to the sky and I know we talked a little bit about offline. The The challenge with that is that it can sometimes get in the way of the connection between the arm, the humerus, and the, the actual cup in the scapula, the glenoid fossa. And so that is the concern around that cue is when you're reaching up to the sky, if you ask people to relax the shoulders, what they'll usually do is depress them, drop them. Is that? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's actually in the science world, um, it's called your glenohumeral scapular rhythm. Oh, got it. Right. Um, so it's just, it's the rhythm between your glenohumeral joint and your scapula. Got it. Um, so the shoulder joint for, for those that might glenohumeral, right? Shoulder yes. joint and scapula, right? So they kind of work like a little dance. You're moving your arm up, you're moving your arm down. And those things are, those bones are all moving in a coordinated way. Correct. Um, so it's the uh, for most people, most commonly in, in, in textbooks, it's when your arms are at 120 degrees of any sort of abduction, flexion, um, or sca- or in the scapular plane. So flexion, just bringing your arms up overhead, which mm-hmm. is everything everything we do in yoga for the most part is at uh, above 90. Yeah. Um, with the arms up, so it's you know usually between 120 to 180, depending on your shoulder range of motion. 180 would be biceps all the way up to your ears. Yep. Um, so when your when your arms are up overhead, uh, the scapula has to rotate upwardly, as we just said. Um, and this is the same in a downward facing dog. This yeah. Is the same when you're weight bearing. Yeah. yeah. I was in class the other day. Someone was asking me to relax my shoulder, relax my shoulders in down dog. I was like, no, 
No. Yeah, no, please don't. <laughs> don't want to do that. But it's right. just, I think it is just one of those things you look at somebody and as a newer teacher, you don't know anatomy and you're like, oh, that looks kind of cramped up around the neck there. It sounds like a good suggestion to say relax the shoulders. And but... sure, I mean, your upper traps live there yeah. too. So yeah. Yeah, yes, relax your upper trap. You don't want to yeah. have all the meat of your neck up yeah. all the way to I your don't, ear. I don't think people are going to be able to make that distinction though. Because my guess is if somebody is cueing incorrectly, they don't really get upper traps either. You know, and this is just, again, correct, it's just a learning, correct. right? It's like there's layers of learning. And I think a lot of the learning comes from just being honest with yourself that you heard these cues in training you did the anatomy part in training but now you're out there teaching and you're repeating these cues and you don't really have a high level of confidence that you get the anatomy behind them that's okay just you know say alignment cues say you know action-based cues and kind of you know do your homework and and then go out there and you know bring in bring in the anatomy so okay so let's go to the next chunk here so one of the things that um I think is hard for teachers and I don't you know I don't want to make I don't want to be kind of overly dramatic about this but just to kind of throw this topic out there you know we are presenting a movement-based practice and we don't really have a lot of information if any about the health of our students and you know you and I both have a athletic training background where the relationship between the client and the trainer is different and that you're doing this whole health assessment before you see someone one-on-one and yet in yoga classes you know we walk into the room and we have very little knowledge even if someone comes to us beforehand and says here's my story it's still we're at a slight disadvantage so when we walk into a room with that little bit of knowledge, you know, we need to depend on what we see to catch these functional movement patterns or just static shapes that might be problematic. So tell me, like, bring me into, bring me into your mind when you're teaching, like what kinds of things, when you look out there in a sea of people, what kinds of things stand out to you? Um, Yeah, I love this question. Uh, So I teach a vinyasa flow. Um, So the things that I look for is really great alignment in the postures we're going to come the most to, um, which in a vinyasa flow is a lot of downward facing dogs, a lot of chaturangas, um, even mountain pose uh, with, you know, people have that anterior pelvic tilt with a really big arch in their low back and their ribs are all splayed out. And um, so the poses that I come that, excuse me, that I have my students come into the most in a vinyasa flow are the ones that I really um, I really want to be cautious about, um, if, if there are no outstanding injuries, um, if there is, you know, that's going to be pretty specific per person. But if someone says, you know, I have wrist and I have wrist issues with, um, or just wrist issues rather, I might modify and never have them come to high plank, but rather have them in a low plank on their forearm. Mm-hmm. Um, but really what I look for the most is, um, since we don't weight bear a lot on our hands and in yoga, we do a lot of weight bearing, which is really great for our bones, for our joints, Mm. um, for our bone health Mm. uh, and for our strength and general stability. Mm. Um, I always make sure that the hand, the fingers are not really looking at each other. Mm -hmm. So in a vinyasa class, it's safer to have a slight external rotation. um, I think uh, Mm. a slight external rotation in the shoulder because we, most of us live with internal rotation. Right. Um, Which is what you're talking about before when you said rolling forward, doing everything in front of us. Um, So this would be that slouch position with the front chest cavity kind of caving in on itself with the shoulders rolling towards the front of your body. Yep. 
Um, so I always have people bring middle fingers towards the outside corners of the mat. Huh. Um, and I just find that that cue brings everyone out to almost a perfect position. Yeah, yeah. It certainly um, doesn't so, allow them to turn in. Correct. Which I, and I, I, I hate watching. And yes, you know, there's there's diamond push-ups with your fingers facing inward. But <sighs> it just you look at the shoulder joint, and I just want to cringe every yeah. time. So yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what am, excuse me. Oh, low back arching. That's another thing I want to talk about. So. Uh, I'll usually have people come to, you know, a few high planks throughout the class, whether I hold them there or not, it kind of depends. Um, but people who arch and sag a lot in their low back probably are not engaging any bandhas. Right. Um, nor are they engaging much of their core at all. Right. So I'll, you know, drop to your knees, modify everything because the purpose of us doing yoga and the purpose of us teaching yoga is to get stronger, to, you know, dive into our bodies at an anatomical level. Yes, there's the mental, right. every, all that, and soul searching and blah, blah, blah. But at right. an anatomical level, um, it's definitely made to make you stronger and healthier and keep your joints uh, more mobile and keep you mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find if you can recruit your core, you will be that much I mean you will just be keeping yourself safe for everything you use your core to push your grocery cart you right. use your core to put your luggage on right. top of your seat in a plane your carry-on right I um, remember I had a, a emergency appendectomy in February and I realized how much I used my core because I was very sore for a couple of days oh my gosh are yeah. you okay yeah that was yeah okay, it was just one of those things and you know there was an it was actually an open surgery so there was an incision so yeah that was a good example for me of remembering you know and certainly women that have c-sections i heard somebody on the news yesterday god bless she was involved in the california fires and she just had a baby and had a c-section and there was all this you know just awfulness around what was she going to do to get out of the hospital and she couldn't move you know anyway that's an extreme example but point being when you're talking about the core being so central to all movement Right. Those are good examples that we don't often think about the importance until we have some kind of surgery or a problem there. Absolutely. Especially even just the slight rotation and walking. Yep. You use your core. It's just, a, you know, that little bit of opposite hand and foot moving at the same time. You right. use your core for that as well. Right. Now, kind of along this theme of not knowing a lot about students and and their physical health when they come into class, how do you approach when people come to you before class and they say, oh, are you the teacher? I want to tell you I have a blah, 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 blah. I mean, I obviously know there's different things you would probably say depending on what the person's presenting with. But do you have any tips in general, especially for newer teachers out there who might be afraid? Like, what if somebody comes up to me and ha- what am I really going to offer them? Um, well, always my number one go to if it hurts, don't do it. Right. That and, and it sounds simple, but when you're in a yoga class and something rises up in you that you need to do every posture, even when your legs are shaking and this that, and the other thing, yeah. if it hurts, don't do it. That's with anything in life. Right. Um, on and off the mat. Um, so that's the biggest thing I can offer any any student who walks in the, into the door. Um, but basically, my biggest thing is if you're having shoulder pain, it might hurt to put weight on your hands, it might hurt to bring your arms up overhead. It probably won't hurt to do both. It's usually one or the other. Um, So shoulder pain, I definitely recommend, um, you know, keeping your hands at heart center or nothing above 90. 
um, 90 degrees being your hand right in line with your shoulder. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if you have any sort of rotator cuff issues or if you have a scapular issue um, with some sort of something going on in your back um, and your scapula can't rotate, you're going to be pinching your rotator cuff every time you bring your arms up overhead. Mm-hmm. So that's just going to cause you more pain when you're already having shoulder pain. Um, same thing for the, for the knee. If it hurts when you um, are standing on one leg, well, then stand on two legs. Right. Right. So my biggest, my biggest, and honestly, my ebook speaks uh, pretty, I, I wrote my ebook with this kind of question in mind. So it's, it's meant to be kind of like a guide that people can come to. They can flip to the hand page. And if you have hand pain, you know, these are some things that the teacher can add. These are some things the teacher can take away. Now tell people where to get your ebook since you're yeah. talking about it. Um, so my ebook is available um, on my website. It's uh, learnyogaanatomy.com. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'll, I will run that special again. So it's, if you use the code barebones, uh, it's 50 and it's one word, no space, uh, 50% off my ebook is, uh, for you guys because Karen's awesome. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> sure. Um, but it's made for teachers, uh, new teachers, old teachers, or just studios to have on their front desk. And if a student comes to class and says, you know, Hey, my shoulder's hurting. Um, you flip to the page that says shoulder. It's one page per body part. Pretty simple. Um, there's some teacher's tips, so basic things that a teacher can add, some questions a teacher can ask the students, um, different kind of rehab things you can suggest to a student who's in pain, um, who has shoulder pain. You know, everything might not apply to the student, mm-hmm. um, but just some, just some suggestions and offerings that you can give them right away. Um, and it, I just wanted to make it an ebook so it was available at your fingertips wherever you were. Okay, um, that's perfect. All right, that yeah. sounds like a great tool to have. Um, all right, so we have two more questions. I, I know we're going to get to these two. So, <laughs> so let's talk about this idea of doing the same sequence a lot. I know certainly, you know, my original entree into yoga was doing pretty much the same sequence very regularly, three, four, five times a week versus taking a different approach. And, you know, if you do change things in your sequence, how do you decide what to change? Um, so my first thought when I read this, uh, and I hadn't really thought about this before, but, um, you know, everyone's saying sitting is the new smoking. Yeah. Um, it's really just the repetitiveness right. of it. Right. So any repetition is going to cause some sort of overuse. Uh, anything you do over time, a baseball thrower, a baseball pitcher rather is going right. to throw and throw and throw. Uh, a yoga student who does the same flow every time is going to just work those same muscles, um, stress those same ligaments over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, honestly, I it's the same with kind of programming for personal training. Um, yeah. I like to do the same thing for four weeks, for five weeks, for six weeks. Um, because then you build, you learn how to do it better. You learn how to dive into your body a little bit more. Right. Um, you, you get to play with the postures a little bit. You kind of know what's coming up. So you can kind of anticipate or maybe transition a little differently. Right. Um, and I definitely see the benefits of doing something repetitively. However, year after year after year that you're doing the same thing, the right. same flow, 
I feel like that's where people, even a few months, I think is too much. That's where people are going to start having these chronic overuse injuries, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. like your tendonitis and yep. um, inflammations and bursitis. Mm-hmm. Um, all it's these just like anything else. It's like inflammation. If, if you're running a lot without anything else, doing yoga a lot, going to the gym a lot, weightlifting a lot, I, I guess it could apply biomechanically speaking really to anything. Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, so my biggest thing is when I change and I will do, sometimes I'll do a very similar sequence every time. Um, but I might add in a different, uh, balancing series. Mm -hmm. I might add in, um, so the things that I like to change are the things that are going to give people the most stress. Mm -hmm. Um, whether this is, you know, one week I do, I take them into sort of some sort of gondasana on one side and the other side, and we work through some wide leg forward folds, um, doing a lot, stretching the inner thighs a lot that way. Maybe the next week I'm going to strengthen the inner thighs. Got it. Um, so I, I like to just kind of pull things in and out, um, you know, challenge the core in one way and then kind of stretch the core in a different regard. Mm -hmm. So talk Um, about that since you just mentioned Skandasana. When we were talking earlier, we meant to get to this in the first one, this idea of changing planes of motion. What did you mean by that? Yes. um, So planes of, so there's three different planes of motion. Uh, Most yoga postures will touch upon at least two, maybe all three. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so this is moving forwards and backwards, side to side, and throughout a rotation. Right. Um, so most yoga postures at different joints will experience different planes um, throughout the posture or throughout the transition in and out of the posture. Right. Um, but there are certain things that I don't like to see, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so moving someone from, uh, I was in class the other day, I think it was a warrior one or a warrior two back into a skandasana, back into a half moon. And I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It just didn't feel good on my hip. Um, the, my muscles weren't sure what to activate. Um, and I, and honestly, I kind of felt like I was going to pull my hamstring. Um, so yeah. th- and that just might have been me that day, but it just nothing felt good about it, and I was wondering why. Yeah, yeah. So, I think sometimes it's just the multiples. Like once you get past one thing to another thing, and then you're onto another thing, and maybe even another thing. I think sometimes it's just a lot from a coordination standpoint. One hundred percent. And my, I'm not the most open person of them all. Yeah. My my ligaments in my hip were like kind of just getting. And yeah, and I could feel that my hip flexor was tight and it wanted to shift, but it couldn't shift because my leg was still bent from my skandasana. Yeah, it was it was very. Yeah. So my biggest thing is, is notice where your hip points back to our hip points. Yeah. Notice where your hip points are facing and try and keep them facing that way the whole time. So Ah. from from like a runner's lunge position. Yeah. Um you know, maybe you want to lift them up into an airplane. I think that's totally fine. Your yeah. hip points are facing down and forward, kind of. Right. You you step up into your airplane, <laughs> and then you want to drop the back leg down. Well, your hips are facing forward. Instead of a warrior two, where your hips kind of open halfway a little bit, hmm. maybe come down into a crescent lunge first. Hmm. 
and then open into your warrior too. Interesting. Yeah. I never thought of it that way from the hit point. What about something really simple like taking people from warrior one right into warrior two? Because then you're forward and then you're open. Didn't Baptiste just take that out? I don't know. I don't know. But maybe they have. I mean, yeah, I think I never I think they've shifted that a little bit. Um, I I did a uh, Baptiste anatomy training. uh, Yeah. Not too long. So they took that out of like the the sequencing. Yeah, because he was saying um, that from an anatomical standpoint, uh, at the beginning, you know, during the sun sun salutation B's in a traditional Baptiste class is where you're going to come into your warrior one, open warrior two, chaturanga flow down. Hmm. Um, their thought point, their thought, uh, was that there's just too much motion going on at the hip points right away in the series before you're truly warmed up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I which think I definitely what I, agree with. Yeah. I think whatever, you know, cause I know sometimes now that we're talking about it, I'll take people from airplane into half moon. So now I'm like, Hmm, is that, you know, cause their hip points are facing down. Right. Posteriorly. And then and then you open. And then I open. Huh. I never thought of it that way. But honestly, I don't think that doesn't bother me too much. Yeah. From personally, uh, from a joint standpoint. Um, But if you're just if you think about somebody new to a yoga class who's who's in an airplane, who's just kind of balancing because right. they got lucky that day but right. no muscles are really turned on to help support the hip right. in the single leg right exactly yeah and to keep the hip level like we were talking about earlier yeah then then you want them to rotate on that leg sure just through that one hip joint sure. is your whole body weight yeah. Is shifting yeah yeah no if i nothing's yeah. turned on right i hear what that's you're saying when people will have I, I don't, and honestly, I haven't had anybody complain of this or tell me that they've had hip pain after yeah. any fancy transitions, but could it cause pain down the road? Maybe. Yeah, and I think this is, you know, I always like to kind of overlay a big caveat on top of all these conversations we have. You know, you and I are talking here. We're not saying we're right. We're not saying we're wrong. We're not saying, oh my God, if you do these things, people are definitely going to get hurt. We're just raising these topics for discussion so that as teachers, we can be a little bit more intentional um, and aware of some of these potential things. And, you know, I kind of feel like really it's a matter of, especially group classes, when you're going into a group class, are you kind of throwing everything in there, including the kitchen sink, or are you trying to kind of be really intentional about what you offer so that the risk is really low and the application of what you're doing is super high? 100%. So, yeah, de- definitely don't teach a flow just because it looks pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like once you're doing two and three and four things in one, in a row on one side, it's like, hmm. You know, I think we're kind of getting a little ahead of ourselves. But again, you know, I've been to boot camps. I've been to trainings with, you know, well-known teachers who maybe I've been doing it. And like you, I'm in my body going, huh, this kind of. So again, no right, no wrong. This is just for discussion. And we welcome your comments to the podcast with your thoughts as well. So it's just good to get these conversations happening. That's, that's you know, otherwise, I think we can kind of be out there doing our own thing and not thinking about other ways to look at it. 100%. So, all right. So we got to all the questions, which is, which is great. Yay. <laughs> which is great. <laughs> so let's just do this. Let's reiterate, because I said your business was Souls to Soul Wellness, but 
your website or the URL that people can use to get to this resource is say that say that again um learn yoga anatomy.com okay great um, it's it's much easier than just saying soul to soul wellness.com which you can also find me there um but then you have to worry about the spelling got it got it <laughs> um okay so they're going to go to the website and uh learnanatomy.com they'll see that resource and they'll use the code bare bones for the discount on that book on that ebook. Yeah. And yeah, then fifty percent off with the discount or awesome. with the with bare bones, absolutely. Awesome. And then again, you know, listeners out there, you know, take a moment, comment to the podcast, let us know what you think. Um, we'd love to hear from you and, and get some conversation going after this recording so we can, you know, keep the conversation going about anatomy. And I'll just remind you once again, I mentioned it in the beginning, to please go to my website, take a look at the lineup for my uh, wellness event happening in January here in Boston. It's in Cambridge or across the river called the Bare Bones Yoga Urban Wellness Weekend. And I'm super excited to offer a full two-day comprehensive event all focused on setting you up for the new year with a lot of new ideas uh, grounded in science and medicine and inspiration. So you're really heading into the new year with a lot of good information uh, in hand for how to live healthy. So, um, so Gabby, we've come to the end of episode two. I can't believe it. <laughs> I know it. I know yeah, it. So now we're going to have to think of another kind of way to collaborate um, on the podcast. We'll pick some other topics, maybe like a theme, um, and, and we can do a follow-up one. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Um, all right. So, oh, and just one more thing, listeners, if you're if you're still on, I know sometimes people bail when they think it's over. Just remember, for my event, you'll get a $25 uh, discount because you're listening to the podcast. So once you register, send me an email right off the website, barebonejoga.com, and I'm going to send you a $25 Visa gift card to thank you for listening to the podcast here. So thank you, Gabby, so much for being thank with me again. You. And we'll do it again soon. Sounds perfect. All right. Have a great uh, rest of your day. Thank you and happy Thanksgiving. Yes, same to you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.